Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This series is entitled The Beauty of Jesus and it's something that I've wanted to teach for quite a while because um, we get so caught up in so many different uh, things that you teach throughout the year and you get caught up in teaching on that subject and this topic and this formula and these principles and then sometimes we can go months without really talking about Jesus himself and, and if it wasn't for him, where would we be? Amen? And so we're talking about, we're not talking about Jesus' physical appearance. Please understand that. And I kind of laid that groundwork last week and kind of got us away from that, that mindset of worrying about what color he was, what color eyes did he have, how tall was he. None of that matters. What matters is that he's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of this world. Amen? He's the one who went to the cross on our behalf and took upon himself all of our sins, all of our shame. Uh, he took upon himself all of our sickness and disease, according to Isaiah 53. And so we're talking about the very essence of Jesus, and that very essence of Jesus is what speaks salvation to us. Amen? That's the, the beauty uh, that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. It's that beauty that gives us hope of everlasting life. And last week we talked about this in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament is the only place that we have a description of his physical appearance. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a pretty one, <laughs> if you want to be honest with, you know, with ourselves. Uh, now I'm not talking about when John saw him and recorded for us in the book of Revelation what Jesus looks like in eternity. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the man Jesus on the earth, Jesus of Nazareth. In Isaiah 53 it says to us, and it's, it starts in verse 1, uh, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And it talks about Jesus in verse 2, for he, Jesus, shall grow up before him, the Father in heaven, as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Now you realize this now, when it's talking about a root of dry ground, understand this, that between the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and be between then and the book of Matthew, there's 400 years where no one heard from God. There was no inspi inspired messages coming. There was nothing written, inspired by God for 400 years. And that's that dry ground that it's talking about in the scripture. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Out of this place of 400 years of dry ground, the Messiah comes on the scene. And then it goes on to say, he has no form or comeliness. In other words, there's nothing special about him. He's just a regular guy. If you saw Jesus in a crowd, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, that's him, that's him. He just looked like anybody else. And then it goes on to say uh, that he's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And those sorrows and that grief are, are ours, not his. And then it goes on to say that we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now take into consideration that this prophecy is written hundreds of years before Jesus is born into this earth. Yet the Spirit of God allowed the prophet Isaiah to see into the future, seeing this man Jesus, seeing this person who, who would just, just be a regular guy and then all of a sudden burst on the scene, teaching the people, preaching, healing, and revealing to the nation of Israel the God that they had long forgotten. And then finally, culminating his ministry on the earth, would go into the cross as the Lamb of God, as it was prophesied, even through the, 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 the Feast of Passover, talking about that Lamb that would come to redeem God's people. And so we see that the true beauty that we seek 
and the true beauty that we're talking about in this series is who Jesus is and what he brought to this earth. The love of the Father, the message of freedom, the hope for the future. This is the beauty of Jesus. Last week we talked about the very first glimpse we get of the beauty of Jesus came from the lips of the angels that announced his birth, the angels that appeared to Joseph, the angel that appeared to Mary, and the angels that welcomed uh, the shepherds. They said, come, come, and see the, come and see this baby that's born in Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, and went on to give us that message of liberty, that message of glory to God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, toward men from God. Greatest message that's ever hit this earth came on that night when Jesus was born. What was he saying? What was the message of that angel? The message of that angel was this. The war is over. The message of the angel, the message that that angel brought was this. Look, the state of animosity that existed between God and man is done with. God has canceled the war. Thank God. Thank God. And what was he saying? He was saying this, that a liberator has come to the earth. And that liberator came to this earth in the form of a baby grew up and became a man and walked on this earth and the liberator came to liberate liberators. You and I are called to be liberators. If you are a child of God, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you can truly say that the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then you are under an assignment from heaven. And that assignment was announced by that angel that somebody's got to go declare that the war is over. Someone has got to go say, God's not mad anymore. Would you turn around to somebody because that's, that's really good news to some people that had never heard it before. God's not mad anymore. And yet religion has done its best and continues to do its best to try to present God as this angry, vengeful God who's just waiting for an excuse to squash a man or a woman who's waiting for an excuse to pull the rug out from underneath you. A, a, a God who can't be pleased, a God who just, just wants everything out of your life and gives nothing back. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So he saved us so that we would become. That is the primary message that I want to bring to you tonight. This is where we ended up last week. He didn't just save us so they wouldn't go to hell. He didn't just come and save us so we wouldn't be separated from God. He saved us so that we would become. And the question has become what? Whatever God has desired and whatever God has destined and whatever God has planned for you to be, which you and I could never, ever accomplish while we're still under that weight of sin and unforgiveness and guilt and condemnation. The only time that you and I are able, ever able to be free to accomplish what he's called us to do is when we have a realization that we are not under a death penalty anymore. That we're not, there isn't that sword is not hanging over our head. That our sin has been forgiven. That our sin nature has been broken and replaced by the nature of righteousness. Amen? Amen. That's the only time that you and I are ever going to accomplish. That's the only time that you and I are ever going to step into the destiny that he has set in our lives and he has assigned us to. Every single one of you in this room, every person that's ever going to listen to this in the future has an assignment. Every one of them is different. Sometimes you can group together different groups of people have similar assignments, but every one of us has a, an assignment in our life that only you or I can accomplish in that way we can accomplish it. Think about the potential of every human being that lives on the earth right now. 
That every single one. Now, we, now you say, well, does it mean that we only have an assignment once we're child, children of God? No. Every one of us, in the moment we're conceived, there's an assignment attached to our life. Imagine those that have never come, that have never been allowed to be born into this earth. They were conceived, but not allowed to be born into this earth. How many assignments have gone undone? How many have lived and died rejecting Christ, rejecting the gospel, rejecting the forgiveness of sins, and never accomplished their assignments? And then we wonder why the world is in the shape it's in. And yet God, from, from the time of Adam, has had a dream in his, in his heart. That dream includes you and it includes me. I want to take you to a, a pretty familiar portion of scripture here. I want you to listen to it. I want you to, to really digest it. We're going to read through the story. We're going to pull some points out of here. Because the beauty of Jesus, listen to me closely, church, please. The beauty of Jesus is that he loves us just where we are. But he desires that we would become that which we were destined to. He loves us just like we are. And I know this, we hear this all the time. And, and honestly, I, I kind of get like, yeah. Because we hear so much of this. Oh, Jesus loves us just like we are. Yeah, but how cheap are we if we allow ourselves to stay just like we are in light of what it costs him to purchase us? You know, many years ago, our ministry friend, Cliff Graham, who's been here many times to minister, he's a missionary overseas and uh, goes to all crazy places, just came back from North Korea just last week. And we were talking one day, and he said, you know, you know he said, Joe, uh, the Lord showed me something. He goes, you know, if I go to a car dealership and I buy a car, and that car has everything on it, from the front bumper to the rear, Everything, every, every, every possible, um, uh, Rick, help me out here, where are you? Uh, where are you? Every, every, every improvement, every gadget, every, you know, top of the, it's just loaded. If the car's loaded. He said, then I come and pick it up and it's missing one of the doors. <laughs> and I sweat for that money and I saved for years and years and years to be able to pay for that car. You know, he said, you know what I would tell that dealership? I want what I paid for. I'm not going to be satisfied to drive that car off that lot if it's missing something. Jesus is the same way. Listen, church, you may not hear this message a lot like this, but listen to me. Jesus wants what he paid for. He suffered. He agonized. He, he threw, everything he was, he threw in so that you and I could walk away free. How selfish is it? How disrespectful is it? How dishonest is it when we say, yeah, I trust you, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, except for this part. Except for that part. No, Jesus wants what he paid for. And he paid it with a terrible price. His blood, his body, the pain, the suffering. And then we're only talking about the physical part. Many of us very rarely think about the fact that after he died on the cross, he dies on the cross and then we don't see him reappear. We don't see him raised from the dead for three days. Where did he go? He's in hell. He had to suffer everything that you and I would suffer. And so he wants what he paid for. And he loves us. And so because he's love, 
He's willing to take us right where we're at. But he's not willing to leave us there. And thank God for that. Thank God that we don't serve a Savior that's willing to just, okay, well, come on along. And if you just don't, you know, it's okay if you don't accomplish. That's okay if you don't become. No. He paid a very high price so that you and I would be able to step into the destiny that God has assigned to our life. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, talking about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, we're talking about Simon Peter now, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. Obviously, he's trying to take advantage of the acoustics. He's got a crowd there. He needs them all to hear what's going on. So he backs off a little bit from the, from the shore so that the individuals could hear Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. We don't see a lot of excitement and enthusiasm here. <laughs> Verse 6, and when they had done this, they, not just Simon Peter, caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, saw what? This great catch. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, what do we got going on here? Obviously, Simon Peter seems to be the leader of a group of fishermen. <clears throat> when Jesus approaches, we don't find them out in the water fishing. We find them on the shore. They're kind of recouping from the night before they're washing their nets, they're repairing their boats, they're kind of like, okay, let's call it a day. And so when Jesus asks them to set out again, Simon Peter responds with, we've been out all night and caught nothing. You could almost hear in his voice, what, what do I hear? What do I hear? Having been in business myself in the past and having toiled all night and caught nothing, I hear in Peter's voice, please don't, don't set me up to get disappointed again. Please don't do this. I know you're, you're, you're trying to be kind. I let you use my boat. You're kind of like, you want to help, but, but please don't set me up to fail and don't set me up to get disappointed. What do we see then? We see a half-hearted attempt to please Jesus. So Simon Peter goes, okay, we'll let down a net. I know many of you have heard this teaching before, but I want to take it in a different direction. What do we have here? We have a man who is discouraged. We have a man who has lost heart. We have a man who's under tremendous amount of pressure. You can see he's the one that all the other fishermen are looking to. And so they're expecting Peter 
to help them, to produce for them, to show them where the fish are. So let's like, look, 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 Peter, what are we doing today? Where are we going? We got, you know, we got to make money, man. I got a mortgage to pay. You know, this boat's going to get repossessed if we don't come back with some fish. Jesus is aware of all this. He knows how discouraged Simon is. He hears it in his voice, and more importantly, he sees it in his action. You see, when you're lost heart, when you're discouraged, when you're disgusted, when you feel like, I, I can't go one more step, even when hope arises, you're like, all right, I'll give it a little bit of a shot. We know he should have responded differently. We know if he knew who was talking to him, he would, have got, he would have called all his guys together and said, listen, you get your boat, you go over there, you get your boat, you go that way, you get your boat, and bring plenty of nets, and bring plenty of help, and bring plenty of baskets because we're not coming home empty. But what do we see here? We see a guy who's disgusted. We see a guy who's discouraged. We see a person who's lost heart. But what else do we see? We see a savior. <laughs> we see a savior who's very much aware of what goes on in our heart. And listen, this is the coolest thing about Jesus. When you read the Gospels, and you see Jesus asking somebody, what would you like me to do for you? I remember one particular occasion, the guy's blind. You need to ask? The guy's blind. But Jesus still asks, what would you have me to do for you? that I may see, Lord. Well, but what's Jesus looking for? Jesus sees the obvious, but he's looking for what? He's looking for a response of faith. And yet, with Peter, he gets a response of, all right, just to respect you, we'll throw out a net. He saw great potential in Simon Peter. But even those, listen up, even those with great potential can fall by the wayside unless they are given an opportunity to develop that potential. I don't think you got it. Every one of us in this room has potential. But not every one of us in this room, either through the fault of our own or just the fault of somebody else, may not be given the opportunity to develop that potential. Number one, it needs to be seized. Peter was on the verge of not seizing. He would, have, he would have missed out even on the one net full. Jesus' intention was that they would get a dozen net fulls. It was good what he came back with, but he could have came back with so much more. But imagine if Peter would have stopped that. Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And so many people do. Pastor, don't, don't talk that stuff to me because you don't know what I've been through. Honey, you don't know what I've been through. Don't give me that false hope, you know. I, I believe in Jesus and everything like this, but you know what? Uh, I haven't seen a lot of good in my life. Okay, well, when the potential was presented to you, did you seize it? When the opportunities were to believe God, did you seize it? So many have fallen by the wayside with great potential and the potential never gets realized. It's very obvious that Simon Peter was used to failure but what he was not used to was success. 
His response to this big catch of fish was, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me. This guy just showed you where the fish were. Are you kidding me? So now what do we hear now? What do we hear now? We hear, we hear a guy who, okay, okay, it worked this time, but you know what? Don't get my hopes up for the next time. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The beauty of Jesus is that he doesn't budge. Do you notice where Jesus is standing? Well, he's still there. Simon Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I, I can't wait till we see the replay of this in heaven. <laughs> I, I have a really strong feeling, and I don't think I'm wrong here, because of who Jesus is and the love that he has in his heart and the compassion that just drove him, that when Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, Jesus cringed. Jesus cringed. Because Simon Peter was kind of insinuating, look, I know you did this with me, and, and you probably did this with me because I let you use my boat. But I can't keep this up. I can't be good enough for somebody like you. And I know, this is Simon Peter talking now, according to Jewish mentality from Old Testament. And I know all the failures I've had, and the reason why we were out last night and caught nothing is because I'm a sinful man. Not understanding the grace of God and not understanding the position that Jesus is wanting to call him to. Why else would you respond? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. We would say today, what has that got to do with the fish that you caught? But you see, when you're raised in a system that tells you, if you're good, mommy's going to give you a lollipop. If you're good, if you eat all your dinner, you're going to get an ice cream cone. If you, know, if you perform on the job, you're going to get your raise. You're going to get your promotion. You're going to get your desk in that corner there with the favorite window that you have. You're going to get your... When you're raising the, kind of, when you're raising the system of like, if you don't eat this and you don't wear that and you don't do this on Saturday, then maybe some blessings will come. Now we understand why Simon Peter responds the way he does. But the beauty of Jesus is this, and man, if you don't remember anything else, the beauty of Jesus is this, is that he refuses to join us in our pity party, and he insists, he, listen, he insists that we walk with him in greatness. Jesus didn't know that he's a sinful man. Every person on the earth is a sinful man or woman. And what does Jesus do? Now, mind you, if it was us, if you're part of an HR team, if you're looking for, for team members of, for your company, and the guy tells you, I've been working all night and caught nothing, you're like, okay, well, thank you for coming in. We'll give you a call. <laughs> but the beauty of Jesus is this. He is able to look beyond what he hears from us. 
He's able to look beyond when we take half-hearted faith steps rather than jumping all in. He's able to look beyond. And he, listen, he insists that we walk with him in greatness. What does he do? He says to this man who is a self-imposed failure, follow me and I'm going to make you catch men. You're going to catch men from now on. If you follow me, I will make you. If you follow me, you will become. But the condition? Follow me. You know, I have a little bit of a pet peeve with the way we, ha- we, we see Christianity sometimes, and, and, and I'm guilty of it myself here. Uh, if you receive Jesus, he'll be your Lord and Savior, and you're going to go to heaven, and yet, and yet there's only one place in all of the Gospels, all four Gospels, there's only one place that talks about receiving Christ. The rest of the Gospels talk about forsaking all and following him we always tend to like to emphasize the receiving part. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 12, verse 12 talks about receiving him. To those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the only place. Every other time Jesus challenged people, it was to follow him. Follow him. Forsake this. Forsake that. Leave that. Leave mother and father. Leave this place. Leave that. And follow me. We need to do more following, church. Yeah, that always goes over a little bit. We, we need to do more following. You see, Jesus, I believe, cringed because Jesus knew the truth of Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. It is the thoughts and intents of our heart that shape a man's life. Jesus understood this truth. Listen to me closely. The beauty of Jesus is that he understands the danger of our negative self-talk. What is that about? Every one of us has self-talk. Every one of us has that. Like, you remember in the old cartoons, you had a little bubble over a person's head? If we could, if we could see that in, in all of our lives, we would see what we really think. And, and we would see what we really think about ourselves. Every one of us has that self-talk. And usually, usually, it's negative. It's negative. And so, the beauty of Jesus is that he understands that danger. Those conversations that only take place in hidden places of the heart. The self-loathing, the self-hatred. And usually the person that's really boasting on themselves the most are the ones on the inside that hate themselves the most. The beauty of Jesus is that if we allow him Listen closely, please. He will inject into our hearts a seed of hope for the future. That's what he's trying to do to Simon. Simon, launch out into the deep for a catch. What was that? That one phrase was supposed to give him hope. That one phrase was supposed to open up. That one phrase was, listen, listen. That one phrase was supposed to cause Peter to forget what happened last night. And to step out in hope in the future. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through the word. Scriptures jump off the page sometime and they're supposed to cause us to forget the all night toiling and catching nothing of our lives and supposed to point us in the direction of the light at the end of the tunnel. 
The beauty of Jesus is that he takes the darkest heart and he points it in the direction of the light. The beauty of Jesus is seen in that response to Simon. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they brought their boats back to land, they forsook all and followed him. I want you to consider this. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is willing to, he's willing to patiently work in us so that he can work through us. He was willing to take Simon Peter as he was, all the negativity, all the, the self-hatred, all the no hope for the future, that Simon Peter. He was willing to take him and work very patiently with him to bring him to a different place. I, I thank God that he did that in my life. If I had to walk according to my self-talk, if my life would have ended up according to those secret conversations on the inside, the, the, the secret vision on the inside, you know, we always associate vision with something really good. But any picture that you have on the inside is vision. And it's up to you whether that vision is going to be fulfilled or not. Most of us carry a very negative vision on the inside. Most of us don't see a good outcome for the future. Most of us entertain failure, entertain, even worse, mediocrity. You say, you say Pastor, mediocrity is worse than failure? Yeah, because failure, at least you come to yourself to realize, I failed, let me do something different. Mediocrity, you never get to the point to confront yourself. You just keep floating along. The big difference between a jellyfish and a shark. <laughs> Psalm 103, verse 8. I want you to hear this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to iniquities. Wow, this sounds a lot like New Testament stuff here. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14 is where I want to get. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're just dust. Now, we can use this scripture as a cop-out. And so many times we do. We mess up, we screw up, we fail, to take, we fail to take steps of faith, we fail to trust God, we fail to accomplish what God puts in our hearts, we fail to reach that assignment, and then we go something like this, something like this, well, you know, God knows my heart. And your point is, it says right here he knows our heart. He says he knows how we're formed. Another alternate translation, I believe it's NIV, says, he knows our frame. He knows how you're wired. L listen to me. He knows what you've been exposed to. He knows what's been imposed upon you. He knows what, can, what he can expect from you because he knows what's been poured into you. Now that goes positive and negative. If you've had a lot poured into you, guess what? To whom much is given, much more is required. But to those of us who weren't maybe raised in a household where, where we, were, we were affirmed and we were 
you know, encouraged and we were nourished and nurtured and cherished. And, and for those of us who weren't raised in that kind of thing, he knows. But that doesn't mean, well, well, he knows, so I, you know, I can just sit here and be a slug the rest of my life. No, no. Because he knows, he knows what he's got to pour into now to get you to that place where you would have been under different circumstances. For he knows that we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. A little kid came home from church with his father and he said to dad, dad, what's butt dust? And the, the father said, what are you talking about? He said, well, today in church, all the pastor kept talking about is that we're, 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 we're nothing but dust. <laughs> See, the beauty of Jesus is that he knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly, he, he knows your triggers. Anybody have triggers? What, what, the rest of you dead? Does anybody here have triggers? Now let me ask you the more important question. How many of you are aware of your triggers? I, uh, uh, my heart goes out to those of you that couldn't raise your hands. Because then that means that you are a living, walking, breathing minefield. And when you don't know your triggers, and, and more importantly, when your spouse or those around you don't know your triggers, oh Jesus. But the beauty of Jesus is that he knows exactly how we're wired. He knows the things that you, he knows what you were exposed to as a child. He knows the things that happened. He knows the things you saw. He, he knows the things you heard. He's very aware of the things that were spoken about you and over you and to you. He knows that. And yet he willingly wants to gently work with us to listen, to disconnect the negative and to reconnect the positive. Jesus was trying to reconnect Simon to an original vision he must have had. Nobody goes into a business without expectations. If you do, go to work for somebody else. Simon Peter is a leader here. They're all looking to him on that lake. He must have had an original vision of having this massive fishing fleet that was just going to, we're going to supply all of the Mediterranean with fish that we catch and we're going to have the freshest and the best. And, and yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, we worked all night and haven't caught a thing. And Jesus is trying to reconnect. He's trying to disconnect that negative because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. And he's trying to reconnect him to a positive. And that's where we're at tonight, church. He's wanting to reconnect us. He's wanting to, to reignite a seed of hope. He's willing to take you where you're at. He's willing. He's, he's already done the assessment. He knows where there's lack. He knows where there's a void he knows where you need to be affirmed. He knows, where you, he knows where you need to be corrected. He knows where you need to be poured into. But he can't if you don't belong to him. He can't if you're not willing to let him do the work in you. The Bible tells us that he is the author and the completer 
of our faith. He's willing to. How many of you tonight are willing to say, Lord, I recognize that I need you to do that work in me? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Why don't you stand up just for a moment, please? Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.